You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. This is episode 129. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who normally will be out bullseyeing womp rats in his T16, but... He only stops to record episodes of Making Tracks, so thank goodness he's here. Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well. Yes, thank you very much for that lovely intro. I do bullseye a lot of Womp Rats when I get a chance. Good, good, good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. How's your week been? How's things going? All right. I've had a very fun, albeit slightly tiring weekend, because it was London Film Comic Con LFCC, the spring one. So this is the, uh, the first real convention of the year. Did a lot of steps, brought some stuff. Spent some time with some amazing rebels and some imperials, and and just had a blast. And it was it's great to be back again. How about you? In Litchfield at the moment, we've got made the toys with you, which is mm-hmm. awesome to have so cool. close. So they did something at the Hobbits and Marys, which is where it's being held, where they basically had a string quartet called the Highly Strung Quartet. Nice. Play the music of John Williams and other movie hits. So it's probably a third of it was John Williams, and the other two thirds was. You'd have liked it, a bit of Bond and Wicked, a bit of yeah. this and a bit of that. It was really, really good. So some of the Midland Panthers got together, went for a bite to eat, went to see the music on the evening. So that was a really nice, felt like normality a little bit. Mm-hmm. Weird considering everything else that's going on in the world right now. Showmasters had Ariel Shu and Leilani Shu, who basically are Jowers from both the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian. And I have to say, these are two of the most loveliest, welcoming and warmest people I've ever met on this planet. They were just so amazing. They came over to the booth on the end of a Saturday and they kind of like took loads of photos and they wanted to meet us rather than, you know, us go and meet them. I mean, literally Sunday, every time we walked past their table, they would come out and we had a Chewbacca so Chewie would basically get these these two lovely ladies in their own Jawa costumes as well, kind of like clinging onto his oh, legs wow. and we had photos and they were really nice. So if you get a chance to meet them and hopefully I think we'll be back in the UK, you should definitely swing by because they are definitely uh, some of the nicest Star Wars personalities ever. In terms of stuff coming into the collection yeah. rooms, mm-hmm. have you had anything this week? I had the Mandalorian collector set from Zavi, but it's basically a an in-universe kind of styled box that has in it the client Imperial medallion, ingot made out of Beskar, and the uh, Mythosaur necklace that Baby Yoda kind of plays with from season one. So that's quite nice. It is definitely one of those things that you should put out on display, but I don't have space, and it's like I don't. I, I think if you took it out of its box, it would lose its impact. So it's in the box, but all done up nicely. Yeah, I mean. I picked up a couple of figures from all the cool stuff on the weekend which was great um and also i picked up from a seller who deals in vintage cinema posters i think it's dutch i think me and me and phil parker were it's the dutch version it's like a, a fairly small I'm, I'm kind of guessing like a3 maybe a a2 at the best size 1977 star wars poster i'd imagine it's like for ones that you would kind of see inside as you walk past uh, different screenings and you'd get the smaller posters. I'm sure somebody knows the, the exact technical terminology for it, but I picked that up from LFCC. I've already got Return of the Jedi, which is, I think, the Belgian one, so I just need to grab a 
European language version of The Empire Strikes Back. I've got a trilogy and I can get it framed and it's going to look lovely. So yeah, how about yourself? What, did you, what have you had this week? The little Funko Pop, the mini little keyring size figure. So I've got Fennec and Boba from Book of Boba Fett, which is really nice. Whole bunch of comics come from Matt at Automatic Comics. Cool. So I've got loads more stuff to review. And the latest inside of the subscriber cover as well, which mm-hmm. has got my Dame Harriet Walter interview in it, which oh, is nice. the first time I've seen it sort of laid out today, which was really nice. Same as you, I got from all the cool stuff, I got Vintage Collection Barber, Vintage Collection 3PO in the droids packaging, which look amazing. And Black Series, General Merrick and Cobb Vanth. And the Vanth looks phenomenal. The Merrick, I just love the packaging. The colours just look great for that Rogue One set mm-hmm. of figures. Yeah. Yeah, just odds and sods as usual, just little bits and bobs. It's been a good one, but we got loads. We got loads of news to talk about today. And I'm going to start off like last week, we had a whole bunch of questions. And this week, we've been very fortunate to have three more questions sent through. So today, it's another trio of questions. We're going to talk about Galactic Star Cruiser, but we're going to preempt that with a question that we had sent in from the legendary Chickafant. Hello, Mark and Mark. First off, thanks for all that you do for Star Wars fans. My family enjoys listening to every episode of Making Tracks. We do what we can to keep up with the news posted on the website as well. So that's always good to hear. So thanks for that. Since this weekend, we'll start to see and hear the first impressions from media guests that got to experience the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. What are some of the things that have been shared that really excite you? And if there was something that you believe could be a concern, what was it? Please keep up the great work. My family and I will continue to listen. And that's from Chickapant. So thank you, Chickapant. I'll throw the hospital pass straight over to you, Mark. What are your initial thoughts from what you've seen of Galactic Star Cruiser? The bed looks well comfy. Everybody seems to have taken pretty much the same angle photo of the, the kind of cabin rooms. I just think that bed does look comfy. I really yeah. like a lot of these photos of just for, you know, the gubbins of like the, the Star Cruiser and, you know, the really kind of like innocuous things that, you know, most people are probably not going to pay attention to. So like the light switches and like the interfaces and all the screens and stuff like that. And yeah. what I really like is, you know, every window is a view. You can see out and it's a view screen and it's a star field and the atmosphere isn't going to be captured on a camera. I think you need to go there. You need to have those interactions with the cast and the crew and other guests and stuff and, you know, sample all the food and stuff to really get a good idea. There is something that I just can't quite put my finger on, but it's just not working for me and I don't know what it is. It might just be the fact that it's one of those things that you have to just go and you have to experience for yourself and then kind of make your judgments rather than use other people's photos. How about yourself? What do you think? Well, I'll read out another little part of the question that came from Chicka that I didn't read out earlier. And it is, if it's okay to ask, why didn't you get to be some of the first people to experience this? You're amazing stewards of Star Wars fandom. So oh, very bless. nice for them to say that. Yes. But the point of that is we weren't asked to go no. and see Galactic Which is Star Wars. So, yeah. Which is fine. So, you know, so we're getting information from the people that did, many of which are friends of ours. So what you say is totally true. It does look great. There's lots of cool little details, and I think the devil's always in the details. So the neat little greebly bits always interest me anyway. So that looks great. The food looked great. The beds look very comfy, like you say. Lots about it looked really intriguing and, and enticing and such. But, and this is where it gets tricky, one, you've said it, you've kind of got to be there to sort of breathe in the air, get the feel of what it's like to be. It's like being in Vegas when there's no doors and windows and clocks you're not seeing the real outside world. So it's very much an enclosed thing, which is kind of the whole point of being in an immersive experience, like Galactic Star Cruiser. Some of the outlets are big and ugly enough that they don't need to sugarcoat what they say. They don't really need to serve anybody's agenda other than their own. You know, so if you're inviting the New York Times and the New York Times say what the New York Times say, 
then that's their opinion. They're always going to get invited back, aren't they? The yeah. New York Times will not, on the San Francisco Chronicle and the Chicago Tribune and all the other big ones, you know, they're always going to be invited. The opinion that matters to me, above and beyond them, far above and beyond them, is what Star Wars websites think of it. And Star Wars, I hate the phrase that's been used. They keep calling them influencers. Yeah. I certainly would not appreciate being called an influencer. like to think we give a balanced opinion on things. But nevertheless, that's, that's kind of how they've been labelled. Bottom line, somebody somewhere has said, we want you to come over and spend two and a half days at our expense to review this amazing, incredible billion-dollar hotel or however much the thing cost, and then go away and tell the rest of the world what you think about it. I sit here thinking, I'd love to have gone. I can't lie. You'd have loved to have gone. Any of us on Fanta yeah. would have loved to have gone. How hand-on-heart honest could you be if you went and thought, oh, that ain't worth $2,000 a night? You know, how honest are you going to be when you write your review or come back on a podcast like this afterwards and go, what do you think about it, Mark? mm, It's a tricky one. Massively a tricky one because ultimately you've got two things to kind of consider. You know, you should have obviously your own sense of integrity. If you can go to somewhere and have a below expectations experience and then come out and kind of say, oh my God, it's fantastic, it's amazing, blah, 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 blah. Then I think maybe you need to check yourself first thing. Secondly, obviously, this is a double-edged sword, isn't it? We are Star Wars fans. We want everything to succeed. We want to have the opportunities to work with Lucasfilm, such as like, you know, when I do stuff with Rebel Legion and, you know, potentially when we do stuff with uh, Fan for Tracks now and then. Yeah. But then you kind of then got your one arm tied behind the back because you need to then maintain that relationship, not bite the hand that feeds you. But at the same time, you give people a fairly critical reaction, which is probably why it's almost better, for lack of a better term, to probably not have Star Wars influences or Star Wars fan sites and that actually there. The people you want are the, you know, the travel reviewers. You want the journalists yeah. who actually will put this into perspective because they will know what a $2,000 a night experience should be. Disney also probably want that feedback. So why would you then kind of sugarcoat something when actually maybe this is kind of like a soft launch? They're using people who won't ask for their money back because they've not paid for anything and get the feedback. You need people to be critical and that's why you kind of need this journalism and like that to, to be honest and, and open and above board. That's a very level-headed way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I do wonder anybody, and let's not be too pretentious about what we're doing. We're writing about, <laughs> we're writing about Star Wars and we do these things because we love it. But then, you know, you get people like Amy Ratcliffe. Anybody who knows a shred about Star Wars would value her opinion. She says, if you love Star Wars and want to commit to this experience by wearing costumes and interacting with characters and living your best Star Wars life, you'll enjoy it. You will 100% need to collapse into a pile and rest at the end of your journey. But I believe you will walk away feeling Star Wars Galactic Star Cruise was worth the cost. So she's not the only one to say that you've really got to buy into this. Now, there's clips of video and there's people dancing like it was Star Wars Connect. That's not for me. No. Have a drink at the bar or whatever, you know. So this this feels like there's plenty of things you can do. And the more you want to get involved, the more you'll get out of it. Well, that's great because that's, that's what it. that feels like what that's yeah. what Galaxy's Edge is, that's what Secret Cinema is, you know. That's up to you, isn't it? And that is a thing. I did Secret Cinema when they did the Star Wars Secret Cinema. I did that twice. And the first time I was with people who were all in, I was all in. And then the second time I went, I was with some people and they're just not that necessarily that way inclined. I appreciated all the effort that everybody had gone to in terms of like, you know, the secret cinema crew and all that stuff. And they thought it was really clever, but I don't think they've got as much of an experience out of it as possible. I mean, for one, I think they just wanted to basically go to the cantina and then go and watch a Star Wars film, which is totally fine. 
the, the price difference between that and the weekend at Galactic Star Cruiser. And bearing in mind, obviously, in the UK, you know, we've got to get there as well. It's not like it's mm. uh, a, a domestic flight over. It's, you know, an international flight. And I want to make sure that I don't just fly in and then just go to Galaxy's Edge and Galactic Star Cruiser and be jet lagged. I want to kind of have a good week or so, get acclimatised to the time zone and then do it. So I'm kind of on my best game, which, of course, means there's more money. Hopefully... One of these days, my six or seven numbers will come in and I'll win the, the National Lottery and <laughs> that'll be it. Then I can take all the fanfares with me. Well, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. But I think that's the thing, isn't it? it? You know, if you look at this and, and see what you've seen and you've got to discern and make up your own mind from what you've seen. And from what I've seen, I'm thinking, yeah, if I had the money in my pocket as a dedicated Star Wars fan, there's no way I wouldn't do it because I want to experience yeah. it and get my own feel. Because like you said, you know, you can see all the pictures in the world, the bed can look amazing, and then everything else can look fantastic. But until you're in that room, you don't really know. And again, I'm looking at Amy's review. I experienced Galactic Star Cruiser as part of a complimentary press preview. Is a free trip worth it? Of course. But also whether something is worth it is widely subjective and depends upon a number of individual factors. If the card should fall that, like you say, that postcode lottery comes through and I win a few grand and Ruth says, yeah, what the hell, let's go and do it, then I'd go and do it. But in the real world, $5,000 for two nights in a hotel, that's at least one very good two-week holiday somewhere, even in the States. We see a lot of people bring up a price, be it pro or negative. And obviously those people who it's financially out of reach for is you kind of think, you know, um, I guess that's just the nature of a beast because it's the first of its type, what it is you're trying yeah. to do. And yeah. so it is going to be a premium in experience. But obviously then Disney has always been for everyone. You kind of then can understand why people would be a little bit rankled by that because then now suddenly it's this premium top tier package, which means that not everybody's going to be able to afford to go this year or next year or sometimes ever. And hopefully if this succeeds then hopefully they'll be able to do other galactic star cruiser type hotels not necessarily with star wars it could be i don't know it could be marvel one or it could be just like a disney one but then the more you have the lower the price becomes which then makes everything a little bit more accessible for everybody so this is why i kind of do hope it does actually succeed and and bring in the kind of reactions and bookings that i think everybody wants it to you assume you're going to see a galactic star cruiser at anaheim at some point yeah do you think maybe you'll see one at Paris? Do you think maybe we'll see one at Shanghai and Hong Kong? And I think they will. I think what you just said makes so much sense. They've invested so much money into figuring this thing out that now they've got that template. They know how it works to take you from one part of the park to the other and yada yada. And it's there now. They're working off it as opposed to starting from the ground up with a pen and paper sort of thing. Do you think they'll move it into other Disney parks? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I definitely think so, especially if, like, you know, the demand completely out, outstrips what they can offer. I mean, if, if you end up, let's say, with a, a two-year waiting list or something crazy like that. Now, if you've got a, a 12-year-old or 13-year-old couple of kids, two years' time, Star Wars is so not cool because they're into whatever stuff. They could be into soccer or they could be into music or whatever because that's what happens. You know, kids, their fads and, you know, what they're interested in kind of changes with the wind. So yeah. having the option and making it slightly more affordable, i.e., so for us, we wouldn't necessarily need to go to America. We could go to the Paris one and those people over in the, like, the eastern side of the globe can go to, like, the Shanghai one. Then it kind of reduces the cost. But also then you can, you can start to... Uh, address for local demographics of what well, actually in Shanghai their biggest uh, Marvel fans for example I don't know if they are or not but let's say they are let's do a Guardians of the Galaxy hotel and for then it's like well actually the stretch between Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy you know you can use the same technology for the screens and all that kind of stuff you just change your skins and then like you said the design work and the refinement 
is it's more about the concept rather than about how the hell do we make this stuff work and then you can suddenly find that actually yeah you know you could be dancing on a saturday night with a baby group as opposed to maybe playing to back you know so you then people have got the option and i think variety is a spice of life hi this is amy ratcliffe and you're listening to fancy tracks so many people may not realize that back in 1979 the millennium falcon was docked in pembrokeshire in Wales, not the original Falcon from A New Hope, because it wasn't a full Falcon, it was about two-thirds, but the full, full-sized Big Daddy Falcon was built in Wales. And to commemorate that over 40 years later now, an exhibition is going to open up to mark the occasion. Have you seen any of this footage of that Falcon being built at the dock? Yeah, the, um, the it's all made out of wood, wasn't it, back in the day? Yeah. Didn't they have to, um, they had to transport it like two or three bits or something, didn't they? Massive trailers to get it all down to Elstree. Well, it's a movie, so there's always trailers. Oh, God. And you're going to say that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the worst. Yeah. In fact, actually, there's a really good um, little kind of like retrospective on, I think it's on the BBC website. You embedded that into the actual article. That's pretty cool. Just generally, I think it's fantastic. I mean, because it's almost like we've got our own Galaxy's Edge now. <laughs> Can you imagine, though? Imagine being a kid. I mean, Star Wars comes out in, in the States in 77, and we get it in 78. It goes all around the UK, and it was in cinemas for, like, films used to be for months and months yeah. and months. And then you're living in this part of the world, you're in Pembrokeshire in Wales, and you find out, or maybe even see, this saucer being constructed in a shipyard in Wales, and they use the shipwrights, and who better to build a ship than people who actually build the hulls of boats? Can you imagine seeing this thing? I mean, how amazing would that be? If you were a kid, that'd be like, oh my God, that's that's amazing, isn't it? And my first reaction would be to then start looking around to see where Han and Chewie are. That's a very good point. I mean, all the images that they've shown, and Rancho Obi-Wan did a beautiful little piece on, yeah. on their site about the small-scale model, the inner construction of that wooden falcon, and that's well worth looking. That's embedded in the article as well. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, when they built that falcon, uh, everything I've seen is just that wooden cage, yeah. and I'm assuming that that wooden sort of interior section, if you like, was built in Pembrokeshire and then transported, like you just said, down to Elstree. And then I assume that's when they add the sort of the outer the skin, cladding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that would make sense really. If you do go and look at the Rancho Obi One video, you'll see it. Basically it's just like a lattice of like metal kind of girders and stuff, but it would then make it easy because you kinda of go, right, you know, take all the circumference. Those are just square panels of ply. You just you know, and then you yeah. just attach it on. So yeah, it probably actually once the framework was constructed, probably came together pretty quickly. Just awesome. So I'd be really curious to see what they're actually planning on doing in Pembrokeshire, uh, to what level of kind of construction and completion are they gonna uh, have with this location? and stuff that we can go and visit. Definitely a Fanta day trip coming up there. So as soon as we hear and find out what they're actually building, because a family did turn up, they'd heard about it, and they turned up weeks and weeks early and there's nothing there yet. So it'll be really interesting to see what this permanent exhibition is. As soon as we find out, we'll put it on Fanta tracks and then we'll try and organise a trip and have a jolly. Hi, this is Hugh Quashing. I've had great pleasure in recording this interview for Fanta tracks. Hasbro have announced the latest in their retro collection series. This is the first time they've done this. It's a two-pack. It's Dengar, an IG-88, obviously in three and three-quarter inch scale from the Empire Strikes Back. It's an Amazon exclusive, $27.99, which probably means 28 quid in English Mm -hmm. money. 
Have you seen this and what do you think of it? Because I've seen it and I think it looks awesome. I've seen it and I've ordered it from Amazon. Same. That is exactly what I thought of that. Yeah, it does look cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, for for somebody who kind of only really lives through the vintage collection, so to speak, through other people's memories such as yourself and stuff, the fact that Hasbro are continuing to do the retro series and to do something quite specific and and I suppose you'd almost say a little bit niche. I mean, it's fantastic. Vintage figures and especially card figures and stuff and something like this I'd imagine if you had an original it's probably not going to get cheap you know so to be able to get something similar in a mass kind of producer kind of level I think it's fantastic so you know I'm a big supporter of a retro collection. Some people weren't so keen it was quite contentious when it started and I think looking at them they've very much gone out of their way to one obviously honour that original look but the weathering they sort of fake into the cards is really cute and the fact that you see them in places like Asda and Sainsbury's and you sort of your regular supermarkets, yeah. I think, I don't think it's unfair to say, certainly in the UK, it's become the face of Star Wars action figures. The retro collection is the thing that most regular people will see. Yeah, now that is a very good point because, to be fair, yeah, you don't see like many toy shops like, you know, the Entertainer Smiths. For vintage collection, to be fair, actually, at my local entertainer, you still have about 400-odd Jin Erso figures from Rogue One hanging in, on the pegs, along with like some rays from The Last Jedi's. I think it's because it ticks a couple of boxes. It's, it's nostalgia, isn't it? Especially because it's not just the card backs, it's the actual figures themselves. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing, because obviously when you have the vintage collection, you know, it's the card backs, but the figures are, you know, updated, remodeled, and look freaking amazing. But obviously, for a certain kind of demographic of people, that's not what they're used to. They're used to the, you know, the clunky five points of articulation, or probably even less with IG88. Good point. So, do you think then that this two-pack idea? Do you think this opens the doors then for a, you know, Bobber and Boss, Forlom and Zuckers, that sort of? Thing? Yeah. Well, we got a Forlom and Zuckers not so long ago, didn't we? They did do a. We did it was for one of the celebrations, wasn't it? Yeah. A while back. And and that actually, funnily enough, that I picked it up because it made its way through to like game, and so it's kind of like yoink, I have one of those. But yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'd love to see some of some of the other ones. You know, the, the really niche tri logo pack mm. triple figures and stuff like that, or you know, or even just something maybe in keeping i mean would you prefer that they just kept it as a retro version of something that's come out or would you be up for retro style you know something which we haven't had before that's a good point because they've done that with the mandalorian figures and there's a wave two of mando figures coming isn't there which look really really nice and they can't be too far away i just look at them and i think one they just display really nicely in the Mm. packaging the figures are just what the old figures were which is kind of cool but the mando figures it's one of those we never got this because this show wasn't available when I was 10. Yeah. But here's the figure that would have come out when I was 10. So there's a really attractive pull about that. It kind of makes me even more warm towards these newer shows, weirdly, mm. by looking at these sort of vintage figures that they've done and they've got that Star Wars, especially the sort of the Empire style figures feel yeah. for those Mando ones, more than the Star if that makes any sense, more than the Star Wars ones. Because you look at Boba Fett as a figure, the original Boba Fett figure when it came out before Empire came out, so he was on the Star Wars card. As a sculpt, as a figure, he's far more attractive, far better sculpt than a Vader or Han or Leia. He's another whole level up in terms of detail and quality of sculpt. And, of course, that keeps getting better, 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 better as we go on. At some point, do you think they'll do a retro collection land speeder, speeder bike? Maybe not mini rigs. Maybe that might go over people's heads a bit. But, you know, the smaller ship. Yeah, I don't see why not. I, I think, I mean, let's be fair. 
if there's if there's support for a, a range or a figure, they they always give it a bit of a um push and give everything a you know a try, won't they? So I don't yeah. see why not. I mean, vehicles are one of those weird things whereby because of the cost of let's say the vintage collection vehicles, which are now pretty much all over a hundred quid, there is definitely a gap in the market to be able to produce vehicles that would be cheaper. I mean, I don't know how much cheaper you could get, but like you said, something like actually a mini rig or I mean a speeder bike would be perfect. What would you maybe do for the newer series maybe you could do a like a mandalorian on a swoop bike for example with a little um, baby yoda in, mm. in a bag something like that you know so it's so it's not necessarily just for the retro vintage figures but actually it's for the new shows and that and i'm, I'm looking forward to and i assume at some point maybe it gets announced at celebration if not before we might see a book of boba fett retro collection that would be pretty funky for everything in one location Daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds. Bookmark Fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. So once again, we have three questions this week. We've already tackled the question from Chickafant. We have two more, one from Hass Aslam and one from Becca Benjamin. I'm going to kick off with Hass's question. So, we know Disney are now using skilled engineers and software to de-age older actors to fill the timeline between films. I'd like to know where they should draw the line, because as much as it honours the original actors, it also deprives new actors opportunities in a tough business. Now, we've talked about this loads yeah. on the show, about the de-aging, about the CG, the deepfake, and all the other malarkey that goes with it. So I think that's well-trodden ground for us. But Hass brings up another interesting point. It also deprives new actors opportunities in a tough business. Do you think there's something in that? Or do you think if, what, four years ago they'd had the technology they've got now that you wouldn't have ever seen Alden Ehrenreich, you would have seen a young Harrison Ford? What do you think to that question? I think it's a good question. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a very good question. And actually bringing that up, yeah, solo that is interesting. If they had the technology four years ago... Mm, yeah, it is really tough. I mean, I am 100% behind the fact that I think that we should be giving actors the opportunity to take on these iconic crocs. Maybe it might be the James Bond fan in me, but obviously we've had six James Bonds, and obviously we're now waiting the announcement for the seventh. fact of the matter is, it's going to be a new actor in that role that's going to breathe a different approach to the to that role now obviously James Bond is different to Star Wars because up until Daniel Craig there's been a real loose kind of connectivity and it's, you can't even really call it a canon as such because it's it's so conflicting at points but Star Wars being a continuous storyline makes it harder for that to happen but at the same time I, I think it should be explored using new actors to take on these roles in the Disney Plus era on a streaming show it's a less of a risk shall we say than if you go right we're going to put you on a 250 million dollar film and then people don't warm to it but actually if you do it at tv i think people's kind of expectations are a little bit lower even with the streaming shows being as high quality as that they are but i think it would be accepted i think you do kind of almost run into a corner because i think the more you rely on deep fake technology and de-aging actors i think it makes people cling on to those actors longer and harder so that when the time does come to transition over to somebody else that change is going to be even harder and i think sometimes you just need to rip that band-aid off and i think it raises the question of what is bigger is a 
character and the character preservation bigger than the actual actor themselves because if it's, that's the case then yeah we should be getting a new Princess Leia so that we can actually enjoy more Princess Leia stories on Disney Plus rather than kind of skirt around it. I wonder now looking at this question and looking what you've just said when Solo was announced I thought that's going to do I, I remember saying it's going to do Ragnarok money that's going to do 750 800 million it's not going to be a billion dollar film but it's going to do very well and the numbers will stack up and everybody will be happy. And it didn't. It did sort of 450. It did barely half of that. Yeah. So, you know, you understand that Disney and Disney, I don't think Bob Iger put his hands up and said, we made the mistake. We shouldn't have put it out in May. We should have put it out in December. That's how, that's on us. But I think if Solo would have been a hit and the, the audience had of then by showing their money in their pocket sort of thing at the mm-hmm. box office, accepted Alden Ehrenreich and got used to him. And then maybe we'd have had a Solo 2 in 2021. Okay, we had the pandemic, but you know what I'm saying? Life yeah. would have been yeah, different. Yeah, totally. And we'd have had him in the role more than once. I think maybe... If Luke had have turned up at the end of season two Mando and it had have been the guy that played him on set, let's say, who doesn't look a million miles away no, from Hamlet, yeah. let's be honest. If he'd have lifted the cloak and we'd have gone, oh, it's Luke. Okay, we wouldn't have had that shock moment of, oh, it's Mark Holy, Hamill. Because in that yeah. moment you're going, oh, it's Mark Hamill. You're not going, oh, it's Luke. We'd figured out it was Luke. Like you say, it's that ripping the Band-Aid off. That's the phrase. Once they've done it, then you can use that character more because I think it goes almost goes to, and it's a contentious one, but it goes to the whole Gina Carano, Cara Dune thing. Mm-hmm. In yeah. that, okay, Gina Carano did said whatever the, whatever she did, and that's that's its own thing, and we're not going to talk about that. But the character of Cara Dune had so much mileage. There was a way more interesting character than they ever got to explore. If you get another actress in, and I know they did talk about Lucy Lawless had sort of alluded to being involved in something and everybody was shouting for her to be that character. So you you kind of put two and two together and think maybe that's what it was. She backed away because it felt political. But the point being is maybe if they got another actress in to carry on that role, and it goes to what you just said about Leia. So what's more important? Is it the character? Is it the actor? Are we in a world where the actor has to look like Harrison Ford to be Han Solo or look like Mark Hamill to be Luke? Or like you just said, and I think you're right, the character is bigger. In Star Wars now, with all the stories that can be told, all the things, you think of all the things that happened to Luke between Jedi and Force Awakens. And we're in real time, essentially, now. Mm-hmm. You know, you really could just have an actor inhabit the role of Luke as a 30-year-old now, you cast the right age and you see it through and that actor, just like Ewan playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, gets to the right age because he's the right age for Obi-Wan now and he could now do an Obi-Wan series every two or three years for the next 10 years until he's the same age as Alec Guinness was when he played Obi-Wan in A New Hope and then he becomes the Force Ghost. You really are in a unique position. It's like Alden and Donald Glover and... Millie Bobby Brown, who's never done a stitch of Star Wars, but everyone worked out, well, I actually worked out, that those three are exactly the same age difference as Harrison Carey and Billy Dee. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there's these little things, little quirky things. If they, were, if they were savvy, they could jump on it and do more with it. So great question, Has. Maybe it's time to recast, isn't it? Hi, this is Julie Dolan, the voice of Princess Leia, and you're listening to Fanthatracks. It's your only hope. We've got our third and final question. It's from Becca Benjamin. Her question is, where does Grogu go from here? Grogu. <laughs> Not so much in the physical sense, but where is Grogu in his mindset now that Luke restored his memory in the ways of the Jedi, i.e. training and Order 66, and how will that impact the future of Star Wars storytelling? So now Grogu has essentially been unlocked, if you like, by what Luke did, and he made his choice and he's back with the Mandalorian and all the stuff we saw in the book of Boba Fett. 
But what do you think that will mean now, not only for Grogu as a character because he had that choice and he made it, but also for Luke in the early days of establishing his own academy, it felt like he was pinning a fair amount on Grogu, but realised that his heart wasn't in it. He actually says that. So what do you think this means for Grogu and that impact on the future of the Star Wars? Grogu, okay. That was the one thing I was thinking about the other day, actually, was like, where does he go from here? Like the whole Mandalorian series, because it's like, if I'm honest, I want some kind of quest for vengeance. I want him to go and convince Din Djarin now to just go track down every single Imperial remnant and for him to basically force choke him to death. That's what I think. He goes dark and he goes really dark and we we end up with a gritty third season full of people being broken in half by Grogu as he's munching on macaroons. That aside, wish because I know we'll never get my wish. It's a good. It's a very good question. I don't see Grogu really developing too much unless it's naturally. So I don't. I don't kind of see him on a quest to develop his own Jedi skills by himself. If it's going to be any kind of like leveling up, shall we say, of Grogu's Jedi skill, that actually is something that happens kind of almost naturally. Him and I hope that happens partly just because there needs to be some story. I mean, maybe they take it even in a literal sense and actually they do try and go and find Grogu's people. First we had the attempt to find the Jedi, maybe now they're going to see if they can find others of his kind, i.e. little green people like Yoda and Yaddle. As much as I joke about it, obviously he's been warned about the dark side from his training way back when. You know, Luke talks about attachment and stuff, but yet he's chosen attachment and we kind of do see in the Star Wars trilogy how it works out for one Skywalker, but then didn't work out for the, you know, for the other one or the galaxy for that matter. So there is that risk that, yeah, he could end up dabbling down the dark side because of his own attachments. We saw it in season one of The Mandalorian when he does force choke uh, Cara Dune when they were arm wrestling. So we know that like he's very protective of Din and I feel like that aspect will be developed and whether or not that will then be to the detriment of Grogu as a, a force user and maybe even to the relationship between Din and Grogu. Like with Luke, if we compare where he is to where, you know, what he says in The Last Jedi, which albeit is 35 years, he's had a lot of time to change and rethink everything that's gone on and what happened with Ben and stuff. The way he's teaching Grogu is still very much in that Jedi Council attachment is forbidden dogma, really. He, you know, he's still at a point where he hasn't obviously kind of realised, you know, the, the teachings of the past were the failings, really, that pretty much pushed Anakin down the route that uh, he ended up going. Where are we now? What, five years after Jedi? So five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine years after A New Hope, basically. And Luke was whizzing around Tatooine in, in his skyhopper down Beggar's Canyon, shooting womp rats, going to Toshi Station and just basically having a hardworking but comparatively easy life. And then it gets thrown into this insanity that ends up with him on the Death Star, facing down the Emperor and Vader within four years of just kicking around on, on Tatooine to that. He could get exasperated and he could get frustrated and he was impatient and he was always looking ahead and not present in the moment. You know, Luke is a very real person as a character. You know, he's got his foibles and he's got his failings and he's not perfect. And there's a little part of me thinks that Grogu, you know, he shuts himself off after what happens. You kind of see the whole Order 66 and we don't know how he got out of that. We don't know who got him out of that or what the scenario is there. And 50 years on, he's still being sort of swung along like a kid between his parents by Luke using the force to move him around. You know, he's not unlocked. And you do see him remembering stuff, you know, he's bouncing around on the rocks and and all those sequences and stuff. But I just think, like Becca says, you know, that unlocked moment of his mind, what's that going to progress to now? 
because Din is the younger of the pair, but Grogu is the innocent almost. You're wondering, now the Pandora's box is open, what's going to flood back? Mm-hmm. And what did he know? We've only seen what we've seen. Yeah. I said to somebody the other day, you know, when Grogu speaks for the first time, I says, I'm half expecting Morgan Freeman's voice to come out, you know. <laughs> What you're going to hear, nothing will be right. You know, whatever he hear, it's going to, people are going to complain. But where are they going to go with that? Is he wise? I mean, he's 50. Yeah. He's, he's still, you know, he's, he's seen life. He's trained at the temple. And he would have been young. I mean, he saw Grogu. I mean, what was that? 20 odd years before. And he basically looked the same. But nevertheless, now that he's out in the world and, and didn't even, you would imagine, verbalize his choice. It was just, do you take the shirt or do you take the saber? And he went, oh, the shirt. Yeah. And grab the shirt. And Luke's probably made the decision. I wish we'd seen that almost. Wish we'd seen that moment. I'd get dramatically why we didn't in that last episode because there he is. But like you say, as for Luke now, okay, you would imagine he's communing with Yoda and he's communing with maybe Ben. I mean, I think was it was it heir to the Empire when Luke last had sort of a yep. communion, a force communion with Ben, and then he faded into the force. first chapter, I think, wasn't it? Pretty yeah, much. you know. So I think maybe you know with Yoda. Okay, you imagine Yoda is more powerful in the Force, but is there still connection there? I'm thinking in Kenobi, everyone's talking about Qui-Gon communing with Ben, but this is 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. Is Qui-Gon still able to appear like that? It's not an indefinite thing, or it certainly wasn't before in the books. Maybe we're in a different era now of storytelling. Maybe he can just appear as as he wants, because certainly all of those Jedi spoke to Rey at the end of Rise of Skywalker, which is another 30 years on. So maybe that has changed. Maybe that's not how it was. But nevertheless, Luke's got a limited council, got Ahsoka. There might be other characters we've not met yet that we're not aware of, but generally you think he's fairly alone to make these decisions and he's Luke up to that yet. So I don't know. I think it's a, it's going to make a really interesting sort of balance of storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the guide for... Grogu is more likely going to be Ahsoka. I just feel like Ahsoka mm. is going to pop in and out of like the Mandalorian series as a touchstone. For instance, there could come a point where actually Din's like, I don't know what to do with him. He was almost at that point anyway. So I, you know, he can't teach him. And I think Ahsoka will at least try and give that airy fairy, well, he needs to find his own path kind of stuff. But um, I mean, it's a weird thing with Grogu, isn't it? Because like, you know, you, he sounds like a six-month-old baby. He looks like a, a two- or three-year-old toddler. He's definitely got, you know, the mat- you know the maturity of somebody a bit older, at least, maybe a teenager. He knows when, some, you know, when somebody's in danger and he knows he's got the ability to assess the situation. But, yeah, it's very hard to kind of see how they develop him. Do they just keep him at, at that age? Is that, you know, is that what they do, from a, even from a literal kind of production standpoint? I suppose that's where the cute aspect is. You know, that's where the, the yeah. bankable merchandise is, is keep him small. It'd be more of a character progression, though, don't you yeah. think? I mean, like Yoda, you know, when we saw Yoda in Phantom Menace right up to when he dies in Jedi, Given the age of him, there's no reason why he should have looked any different whatsoever. He should have looked consistently much the, the same. same. Yeah. With Grogu, <laughs> you know, you think you can keep him physically looking like that. But if all of a sudden he starts talking, like, you know, if Maggie from The Simpsons starts talking, you'd be, <gasps> that's how it feels to well, me. That's a, it's, you know, it's a similar uh, thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, Maggie yeah. from The Simpsons is probably the best example of Baby Yoda outside of Star Wars. It's exactly the same thing. It'd be interesting to see if he can help Din with learning how to wield a Darksaber one way or another. Mm. We saw Kanan help Sabine, so potentially Grogu's still got more experience than Kanan had at that point. Who knows? Great question, Becca. Anne has 
and Chickafan giving us plenty to talk about today. If you want to be part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the free Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fanthatracks.com. So, like we just said, get your questions in. I think you know now. We'll answer everything. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks. And be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fanta Tracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Now, technology pending, and fingers crossed it happens, we will have an episode of Good Morning Tatooine live this Sunday evening, 9 o'clock UK, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific, on Facebook and YouTube. And don't forget, every Friday you'll have a different episode of a Fanta Tracks radio show at 7 o'clock UK time, and then every Tuesday you'll have this, you'll have making tracks. So there's going to be loads to listen to, so clear your log holes out and get ready for more Star Wars content from Fanthatrax. That sounds good to me, and I'm excited to to listen to those episodes on Friday because it means that I don't have to edit or talk or do anything. I can just kick back and listen. So thank you very much for listening. We hope that you will join us for episode 130, which will drop next week. But until then, everybody stay safe and take care, and of course, as always, get a Galactic Star Cruiser booking in. May the force be with you. Coming up next on Fantha Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.